Hello everyone and welcome back to Eating Salads. It's me again, Austin Crosby. I'm going to touch my little monkey on her forehead. Oh, she likes that. I, uh, we have to talk about history. Uh, dude, there was a thing I saw this morning that was, they were wanted Red Letter Media to make a review of this movie. It was on the Red Letter Media subreddit, I think. And it was like a picture of a VHS box. And it was, Monkey in a Top Hat Goes West. Monkey in a Top Hat Takes a Train West, I think it was what it was called. And uh, it was like, what? <laughs> but I would love to know. Would love to know. Um, no, we're going to talk history. Vice News, David Oriega, they put out a uh, piece on the mass graves of Spain. And Spain is just kind of fascinating. Casey and I were just discussing it. Um, I don't, you know, there's certain things you have an impression in your mind from media typically of what a place is like, what a culture is like, the whole shebang, right? So uh, I don't know. I don't want to make another example. So we'll just talk about Spain. Um, yeah, I don't know if I thought Spain and I mostly went to like Christopher Columbus, right? I would mostly go to uh, sail ships. And I don't know. I, I, I've, not a lot of things take place in Spain, but around my childhood, a couple of things did. And... There was some confusion and ambiguity around these things. So Resident Evil 4, one of my uh, favorite video games from childhood, that takes place in a village in the Spanish countryside. Uh, I don't know how aware of that I was as a kid, but it kind of it made sense. Like if you would have asked me, I could have told you, but I wasn't thinking about it. You know what I mean? That being said, the geography, the... Um, meticulously crafted uh, setting of that game. Okay, I can see how that would shape my mind and an image of what Spain is. Also, there was Pan's Labyrinth, which I think was very confusing uh, for a lot of people my age, again, because it came out when I was a child, that Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, uh, the fawn. It's called like in in Spanish. It's like uh, el el fawns <laughs> el, el labyrinto del fawn. No. <laughs> um. That's that's kind of what we want to talk about is the uh, Spanish Civil War. You know, I guess in high school I read the book. For Whom the Bell Tolls, also Spanish Civil War. Yet you're just not educated in America about that particular conflict or really region at all. It's skipped over uh, in favor of like the Magna Carta, the Anglosphere. And then eventually, I remember we even had like a whole chapter on Egypt, uh, which is kind of ridiculous. I think there's probably more relevance in Spain than in Egypt, but... We, we prefer ancient things. Um, although I will say, in some regard, there's almost an old town in Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. 
there's an old town-esque mystery about Spain, right? Spain is not some new land. It's an ancient land. It was part of the Roman Empire. Uh, it was definitely something before that. And they have, like, the Basque language is very mysterious. They don't really kind of know, like, what's up with that? You know, it's its own deal. Um, and the mountains, the Pyrenees. So, all of that being said... Um, you just don't really understand in America that, like, Spain was another fascist dictatorship like Nazi Germany, but because they did not enter the war, since they had had their own civil war to become a, a fascist dictatorship, we just don't really ever know or talk about that. And, uh, and the fact that it was until our parents were alive in 1975 with uh, Franco's death, that it was a fascist dictatorship police state type deal it's kind of fascinating and when we were in catalonia i found it was really eye-opening to talk to these people who were born right around the time the dictatorship fell and they started to implement more democracy in the country but the craziness is and i want to circle back to this uh, vice mass graves story is they never processed that trauma. They had this treaty of uh, forgetting that they all were like, hey, let's just not talk about it. Let's just move on and not dwell in the past. Well, a lot of these people, you know, lived under that regime. So it's like easier said than done. Well, I don't know. You learn a little bit. So in this documentary today, they were talking about Jose Antonio de Riviera who was the son of the, I guess, dictator of Spain prior to the Spanish Civil War. I didn't realize that was really a thing. Maybe he was the uh, dictator who Franco served under as general, but his son, Jose Antonio, founded their fascist party, the, uh, God, I can't remember the name, the Flag Flagrists or something like that. I don't know. I've never heard it said by an English accent. Um, but you know what I mean, they, the, the fascist party. But I guess he was somewhat of a playboy, and Franco was a conservative general. And during the Civil War, Jose Antonio was captured by the, uh, let's call them Freedom Fighters Alliance, the Republicans and the, you know, that kind of deal. Um, they caught him and they had several opportunities for exchanges, prisoner exchanges, but Franco was like, you know what, if if this guy comes back to us, they'll want him in charge maybe. So I'm going to consolidate party power, I'm going to take over his party, fold them in with our general fascist mission, and uh, so he sabotaged attempts at trying to get Jose Antonio exchanged, and uh, so he died by firing squad. Well, the guy has been buried five times and exhumed four times. A few of these times was from mass graves uh, during the war, perhaps. But then eventually, after Franco had won the war and consolidated power and was a dictator, he forced, labored the uh, freedom fighters to build this giant, insane tomb outside of Madrid called the Valley of the, of the Fallen. 
and that they that's where they buried Jose Antonio. And so it was a site of remembrance and a mecca for Spanish fascists to go and show support for their founder of their fascist party. And when Franco died in 1975, they also buried him there. So it is, while an astonishing monument, it's pretty uh, problematic. Well, in the last few years, they've exhumed Franco, moved his body from this place because they're having like a rise in far-right nationalism again. Um, and literally that same party, the philagrists, I don't know, philagrists, uh, I think that's about right. They are like openly doing like, you know, the Nazi salute type deal and like that kind of stuff. Like they're being very Nazi-ish, very openly. It's not like in America where you'd wear a mask or something, you know, a ski mask. They're just like boomer type people who are fascists there. Um, because they actually grew up in like a fascist country and they love it. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of crazy. Well, anyway, a couple months ago they exhumed Jose Antonio's body too. And they had to like, I don't know if fighting is the right word, but there was some fascist resistance. You know, they tried to maybe block the hearse and there was like an issue. Um, while they were all like singing fascist songs, like doing their salutes, etc. And now they're going around Spain, or they have been for some time. They're digging up the mass graves of the victims of fascism, the freedom fighters. And that wasn't even fighters. I mean, it was literally victims. And they were saying, you know, David Oriega has a back and forth with the head of the uh, fascist party where he's like denying the mass killings. He's denying the disappearances or the enslavements or the rapes and all that stuff. Um, but he's like, yeah, you know, that, I mean, they're exhuming the mass graves and like analyzing who these victims were. One of them had a pen, like a fountain pen in their pocket and, uh, the corpse did. And the, the guy who, the archeologist, I guess you'd say, I, you know, he goes, oh yeah, you know, if you had a pen, that meant you could write. And at the time Spain was 50% illiterate. So, you know. Obviously, who do you think the fascists were intent on killing? It was the people who could read. So that's why this guy's here. He had a pen. And you're just like, what? That's crazy. That's crazy. People just don't know about that, you know? And a big part of it that we do know about, it was our obsession really when we went to Catalonia, was uh, we watched the three-series, three-season series on History Channel, Hunting Hitler, which I highly recommend. It's like the best thing History Channel's ever made. And on that, they talk about, well, if we look at data and paperwork and all this stuff that has been declassified from the decades after World War II, it seemed like the Israelis and the Americans, whether that was the CIA or the DOJ or the uh, FBI or whomever else, Mossad, they all seemed pretty sure that Hitler survived. And it was only like the good word of the Soviets that they, they captured Hitler or, you know, killed his body, his corpse, that he'd killed himself. And they found it. They found his body and then they quickly burnt it. 
and then uh, took it back to Moscow throughout the Cold War. And I guess at some point someone tested the DNA of the skull that they had and it was a woman. But I think that some people refute that claim. But um, either way, I don't know. There's some of those conspiracies. We could talk about different ones. But um, I don't know why you ever would take the word of a government. I think you'd have to be a real fool to take the word of a government after uh, the life that any of us now have lived. But uh, especially not the Soviets. I don't know. I don't understand that one. So they say, well, if Hitler escaped, let's look at the data, look at reports, contemporaneous sightings, etc., and let's investigate where he might have gone. And again, amazing, amazing television series. They go all around the world looking for signs of where Hitler might have gone. They follow what they call the rat trail. And a big part of that is this documented plan that was made for what they called the uh, Fourth Reich. And they actually sent out things to some of the biggest Nazi party members and supporters and the, uh, the Nazi elite, many of whom did escape and live out the rest of their lives in Brazil and Argentina, uh, etc. But... They said, hey, what we're going to need you to do is if we fail this war, we're going to need you to just go around the world and uh, support the Nazi diaspora. The Fourth Reich is what we'll call it. We'll operate in the shadows. And um, again, I don't want to, I, I could go on forever about the things they do find in hunting Hitler, which is like amazing. But they, a big part of it was they show where Casey and I have been to Mount Surat in Catalonia. Uh, and what they tie this into is all these images of, I can't remember if it was Himmler, I feel like it was Himmler, went to go visit because the Catholic Church was always an accomplice of fascism, right? Has always been, always will continue to be. Fascism has its roots in the uh, Roman Empire, practically. I mean, maybe even earlier, I guess you could go back to like Mesopotamia or something, I'm sure. The Hittites or something, if you wanted to. But literally, the Fash was the weapon of choice for the guards and the uh, like secret police, practically, of the emperor. And the Fash was this like bundled up, um, weird axe that they used to use when they would famously go around and like beat um, and like bludgeon people who spoke out against the state. So that's where you get that ultra-nationalist, violent, secret police vibe, right? It was the fash, which I think is still a big American symbol too. People don't really, aren't aware. But if you look on like dollar bills, I think it's, it's either dollar bills or like hundred dollar bills. There are fashes hidden all throughout American statist uh, imagery because this country, America, where I reside and, and have been born and such, was a major inspiration for uh, the Nazis and uh, like eugenics and all that stuff. So anyway, it wasn't their only inspiration. But when they sent Himmler to go, they sent him to Mount Surat. They sent him to talk to the church. They sent him to talk to Franco and to establish. And there was correspondence between Hitler and Franco that basically said, hey, you've been through your own civil war. 
to get your nice dream state, your Mediterranean fascist dream state. Um, don't enter World War II because if we fail, we're going to need to flee to your country. And uh, we want there to be some like culpable deniability. We need you to remain neutral so we can hide out there after we lose the war if we do. You'll be our secret supporter. And I think they did. Uh, the, the Spanish had secret submarine bases for U-boats that the Nazis used and things of that nature. They were like their uh, secret accomplices, kind of, you know, less secret than they thought. But Mount Surat has these crazy tunnels and caves under the, uh, in the mountain, you know, <laughs> hidden under the, uh, what do they call it? The abbot, the monastery. And so the Catholic Church, and this happened in Italy, in northern Italy, as Nazis would flee Germany at the end of the war, the Catholic Church would take them in, a lot of the times with the help of the Red Cross, and it would give them new names, less German names, and then they would like launder their papers and send them on their merry way to live a peaceful life in South America or whatever. And so, you know, I just that all ties together. We went, went to Mount Surat knowing that uh, Hitler could have gone there after the war and hidden out with the Catholics until he uh, had a nice opportunity to escape, or at least other Nazi heads, uh, leader, uh, you know, leaders of the Nazi party did that. Um, I think the Catholic Church maybe still denies it, but it was interesting stuff. Interesting historical stuff. And uh, we also had like a uh, vegetable fajita salad that I made. Casey didn't really like hers. There was something up with the broccoli I put in it. Maybe I needed to cook it longer or something, but there was like hard stem bits. Like, it, it, like fibrous would be an understatement. You know, there was some parts that were gritty and hard. And uh, anyway, so it goes. Yeah, fascinating stuff. You, you, learn, you learn every day. I also learned today that uh, apparently the CIA told Jimmy Carter uh, that aliens invented all of the religions as a way to keep humans pacified while they ran their experiments on us. And because Jimmy Carter was a uh, religious person, he was deeply troubled by that, visibly troubled for a while. And it's been a part of like Jimmy Carter lore that he was upset after uh, asking about aliens. And now that there seems to be, like, I don't know, I'm not conservative when it comes to speculation on alien life. Obviously, I've just told you about my proclivity to watching the History Channel. It's the same, same streak in me makes it seem very obvious that there have always been aliens and that they very well could have created humanity as an experimental... Uh, race on this earth now where this where I, I break from that is I don't think that's that big of a deal it um, panspermia I don't think that I really care to be honest with you I don't because Jimmy Carter presumed that there was a god an omnipotent god who cared about the you know doings of individual men I think that when he was told no actually it's aliens he still assumed there was this like omnipotence. 
And uh, I don't. I think that if humans were created by aliens, they've stopped caring about us like a long time ago. Or they, if they still come around, it's not like they really care. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel super micromanaged by aliens, is all. And uh, that's fine. But it would. I do think though that there's something to be said for COVID seemed to cool the earth down and make nature start to heal. And I wouldn't doubt that aliens came back to invest. Like, I, I think they're here almost all the time visiting. I think that the aliens probably like fly by regularly, you know, why not? It's probably trivial to them, but, uh, I bet COVID they were like, what's going on with them. And so with COVID, they like really came by and that's why anyway, it seems all silly and don't, don't take me too seriously here because I really do not care. I, I believe this, but I don't really care. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like the U.S. government is on their back feet and like admitting that there are aliens. Like they had that whole UAP thing and they for a while, the publicity, they're just going slow. But their whole thing was like, well, we just don't know what these things are. They surely have explanations. We just don't have the explanations. And so they tried to walk that down, being like, these aren't aliens. These aren't alien craft, intelligent visitors from the other world. We just don't know what they are, right? But then as the last couple of years since COVID have moved on, it very much seems like they are slowly backstepping to be like, yeah, they are aliens from other worlds, and we have known that the whole time. Roswell was real. That's what it's. That's like legitimately like what it seems like is happening right now. And, and uh, maybe that's insane. Maybe I am really just chomping at the bit. But that seems like what's happening right now. Um, I don't even think that that is too crazy to say. I wonder if historians will look back on this and be like. How, yeah, they, it was an open secret. Everyone knew. How could they not? But anyway, thank you very much. Come again tomorrow.